Hey everybody, welcome back to the Maxon Inflatable Boats Creek Adventures podcast presented by Lone Bison Fly Tying Tables, Lone Bison Fly Tables, premium quality functional art. You can find all of their products over at LoneBisonFlyTables.com. They do have some new products that are uh, about to hit the market just in time for the holiday season, so make sure that you go ahead and check them out. As always, the Creek Adventures podcast is a big supporter of the Oklahoma River Warriors, and so if you are on social media, if you are on Facebook, please please go ahead and go give them a like uh, and continue to the mission of keeping our local waters clean. Today is a special episode as we welcome back our good friend uh, and fishing legend, uh, Mr. Dave Whitlock. Uh, Dave, it's so good to connect with you. How's your summer been? Oh, it's been a busy summer. We're doing some flood repair and I've had a lot of artwork to do. So uh, it's gone pretty fast, but man, uh, you can keep that heat. Uh, <laughs> no kidding, me, man. Well, yeah, the know, heat. The... When you get my age, you can't put up. You just can't take that kind of heat in the middle of the day. You, you know, you got to find, you got to find something even greater than shade to take care of. So I've been staying indoors during that hot period, and it's been hot. Uh, Dave, I'm only thirty, and I can't take the heat, man. But I'm also a big wimp, so. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> You know, they they uh, they say that the heat is a lot harder on your body than cold. You know, as far as maintaining your body temperature, that it takes more out of you than the than trying to stay warm. So. I believe that when you're cold, you know, you could layer up, you can warm up. When yeah. you're hot, you can't. Yeah. You can only run so far. You can only. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You can yeah. only shed so many layers before people start calling the police. Yeah. Well, one of the things I do. <laughs> is wear your clothes as I can. And most of the summer, I don't wear shoes. And so uh, that helps a little bit too. Uh, people wear shoes and socks in the summer, you know, got a got an extra burden to try to keep cool. But I'm just an old barefooted guy. <laughs> I know one of the local guys one morning, he was talking to me and he said, you know, Dave, there's two things that uh, folks around here don't understand about you. And I said, well, Troy, what is it? He said, well, first of all, he said, you go barefooting all the time and you can afford shoes. And the other one is that you throw perfectly good fish back to eat, they, they could eat. And we just don't understand either one of those things. So. <laughs> you're, you're living the dream, man. You're living the life. <laughs> yeah. Barefoot and catch and release. That's how we like it that's uh that feels like a bumper sticker in itself right there so mm-hmm. good well dalton you've got um you've got the agenda for tonight so this this episode is uh written and produced if that's a real thing it's written by uh mr dalton wortham and so man get us going with uh with with uh dave whitlock yes it was uh written while making some kimchi fried rice and watching westworld 20 minutes ago um so dave <laughs> First off, um, want to say material. a thank you, right? Fresh material. Um, last time we um, talked about getting our families into fly fishing. You and Emily really ran with that question, and and I took it to heart. Um, and proud to say, I've got my three year old with a little practice fly casting rig. That's one of his favorite things to do in the living room is practice wow. his fly cast. That's really young. 
So I, I'm very appreciative of that motivation. Um, took yeah, my wife yeah. out on a float and she didn't care much for fishing, but she really liked the, the lunch, the charcuterie board on the, yeah. on the side of the Illinois river. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, have to, I have to interrupt for one second. Cause I heard about the funniest thing ever that just this weekend about charcuterie board. My, uh, my father-in-law called it a Caucasian board. <laughs> yeah, so so, we, so we, we've we've called it the adult lunchables but uh but he called it the caucasian board which is uh there's probably a lot of truth to that so okay that's my only interjection tonight i'm sorry absolutely so dave excited to have you um i think a subject that we didn't cover last time that i'm motivated motivated about and i know you have a passion for um i've watched some of your carp fishing videos um yeah. your series carpin uh, with Mr. Brian Fleshing, and I've heard you describe them as the perfect fish to target on a fly rod. Um, but it's not a fish that really either three of us have targeted. So I want you to sell us on being carp fly fly anglers tonight. So you're asking me to talk about carp then? Yeah, convince us to be carp fly fishermen. Oh. <laughs> that you know that might not be possible. I tell you, the, uh, <laughs> I I gave a a seminar to about 500 guides up at Sims a couple, three years ago and uh, at their spring outing. And uh, I asked them, first thing is that I said, now, how many in this room can stand rejection? You know, and, and about a half or a third raised their hand, you know, how that goes. And I said, how many of you guys have, have caught carp or fly rod? About a fourth of them had. And I said, well, were the other three-fourths of you guys, if you can't take rejection, don't try to carp fish because it's a lonely world out there when you're trying to catch carp because they, they they have absolutely no no uh, loyalty to, to biting your fly. And so you got to really work hard to get them. But once you get it all together, it's so rewarding. You know, when you begin to really have success with them, they're an unbelievably uh, wonderful resource for a person who really does take fly fishing seriously. But uh, they're probably the most intelligent fish as far as, as being able to figure you out of any fish that you've ever fished for. And uh, if you don't play the game right, you don't catch carp. And so that, that's why that uh, uh, I don't, it's not for everybody, but if you reach a point where you're ready to Put all your, you know, all your skills together, uh, and 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 being able to catch a lot of work and a lot of rejection, uh, you can turn it into a pretty good carp fisherman. I think I could handle a little bit of that rejection. I oh, I've I'm got married. a. I'm married, so I'm I'm used to a little rejection. <laughs> oh, oh my god! <laughs> I've got what a is... giant pond up across the street from my office that is loaded with some fat and happy carp that have never been disturbed. So I'm going yeah. to take this motivation and go try to hook some. Now, what kind of carp are they? Are they European carp or Asian carp? Uh, European uh, common carp up in... Um, they are it's a, common carp, okay. Yeah, okay. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. they're yes, a lot sir. easier to catch than the, uh, than the uh, uh, white amur carp because they are much more aggressive feeders, but uh, either one are fun. But uh, you know, the old wild carp or the Nashua, German Asian carp, uh, 
are the ones that I like to target most. Big, the big yellow ones. What, what do you, I, I've seen people. So I, I always think of carp as, you know, the big fish that I see in my pond that's floating through the reeds, just cleaning the, the, you know, basically being the vacuum. And so I like, I never thought of it being like a species to go target and which it seems yeah. fun because they get so big. Yeah. What, how do you, how do you even begin to, to chase carp? How do you, how do you, how, what do they eat? What are, what are you trying, how do you target them? Well, first of all, you can't play all of their games. Uh, about the only way you can successfully catch carp on a regular basis with a fly is when they're feeding in very shallow water or on the surface. Uh, once they're in five feet of water, uh, you, you, you'd be lucky to ever catch one because you've got to present the lure so close to them. And so, you know, that uh, because they don't, they won't come very far for it. So you just have to, you have to stalk them. And once you get into position to get the fly in front of them, it has to be in front of them without them knowing that you put it there. But guys, once they know that you cast it there or, the, or your cat that disturbed them, and unfortunately, most people cast disturbed fish, uh, the game's off. They, they, they're they not telling that. They just quit. They just leave. And they're extremely spooky fish. As spooky as any bonefish or pervert that you'll ever encounter. So if you made a, make a bad approach to them, make a bad cast to them or a bad presentation, you've lost right then. I mean, it doesn't matter what lure you throw to them. You know, us as trout fishermen, bass fishermen, we're always preoccupied about having the right fly. Well, having the right fly is a minor step with a carp. Having the right approach and the right cast and the right presentation to the fish, much more important. And so you really have to uh, address that uh, as, as the golden rules on carp fishing. So I saw somebody tie a carp fly, at least they, 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 they said it was, and it looked like what I thought was just like a a clump of like lawn clippings, like a clump of grass. Yeah, it was well, just this more, green. Yeah, what that probably, you know, a fly for is the white americarp. They're vegetarians and they will eat grass clippings and, and pieces of plants. Uh, uh, the uh, the wild German carp or the, the big yellow and gold ones, they, they're basically invertebrate eaters. Uh, and vegetarians, and they'll eat just about anything that gets in the way. They eat small fish. So, uh, uh, if you're going to try to go go with the, uh, you know, with the big white murs, granted, imitating plant parts is probably the best thing to do. And very inanimate fish, they don't, they don't, they don't take anything that's moving. It has they, they have to come up to it and just eat it. Uh, but your, what we just call a wild carp, a big natural carp. Uh, they're quite aggressive to feeding. They're, they, uh, uh, you see them forging along, stuck on the bottom. Uh, they're not necessarily just eating stuff off the bottom. They're rooting for stuff in the bottom. And that can be snails, can be leeches, can be mayfly nymphs, crawfish, whatever they can root up. And, uh, and so, when you put a fly in front of them, it looks like something that uh, that's alive and can crawl. Uh, they're very interested in it because they're looking for that. 
they're they're not looking for dough balls or grass or whatever. They're they're looking for animate food forms. Interesting. So, and I think we're starting on the wrong end of this whole thing because I actually wanted to talk about the approach. But but as far as their their feeding habit, because I think I had in my mind that it was like a smallmouth buffalo that you had to put something in their feeding path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you just yeah, you well, put it there and they get aggressive. Uh, a, a, a carp will come for food if it's in, you know, if, if you have it, as I mentioned before, if you haven't already warned him if there's something, you know, foul with, with the with presentation. But uh, uh, they won't come very far. You know, maybe two or three or four feet is about as maximum as far they'll actually move to uh, your fly. But uh, I fished a lot for carp on the, up in the Great Lakes, basically Lake Michigan. And those carp up there are, they are really aggressive. And they'll come five or six, seven feet for a fly if they think it's a crawfish or a mayfly nymph or something like that because they have, they're out looking for things that are moving around rather than just being still. Uh, Emily and I just got back from Menominee River in Wisconsin and we went up there to smallmouth fish. But we saw a number of very, very large carp uh, feeding fairly aggressively. And they had a companion with them. Uh, almost every one of the big carp we saw had a very large smallmouth swimming basically in a shadow. And that those smallmouth kind of create a symbiotic relationship with the carp because these carp are running crawfish and stuff like that out and the smallmouth grab them before the carp can react to it. So uh, <laughs> they're using the carp kind of like you would uh, a flushing bird dog, you know. Interesting. Now, do carp ever uh, get aggressive, not in not in feeding habits, but aggressive with other fish, like like to fight that smallmouth off or? No. They just kind of exist. <sighs> I say I say no. I, I'm not I'm not sure of that. But what I have seen about carp is they're unbelievably docile, friendly fish. They uh, they they don't they're not territorial with each other at all. They they'll share their area. They'll feed together. They'll they'll seek each other's company out. And uh, they you know and I, it's uh, it, it's not necessarily in a schooling way. They just like to rub. You know, shoulders with each other, and then swim around with each other, and then go off in opposite directions. It's a, it's amazing how they're, how affectionate they are, or how friendly they are with each other. Never seen them actually chase another fish away from their area. So, are one of the friendliest, spookiest fish out there. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah, the only so, thing they don't like is you. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I get no, it. That's have, pretty. Common yeah, we get it. Or anybody that throws flies at them. So. <laughs> it's a pretty common common opinion. So yeah. so if we get a fly down to them and we haven't spooked them by by that time, if if, if we hook up, they're they're a heck of a fight. So yeah. are they leader shy, or can I stay with some heavier? No, no they're not leader shy. Okay, okay. Uh, it, that's not in their mentality to be leader shy because you know they yeah uh, they're basically looking at the end of the leader and and what's on the bottom or what's near the bottom because most of the, most carp flies are best uh if they are hopping along or crawling along the bottom and so uh, if you think where the leader would be if the fly was crawling along the bottom the carp probably never see it 
you know, it, 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 it's inconsequential. I think the same goes for bass. Uh, when bass feed, they're looking at, at a large object. And they don't look in front of it. They're looking right at it. So uh, uh, now trout are a little bit different, but so I don't think carp are really leader shy. We usually use a, a minimum of two X tippet material and sometimes heavier because they are really big. And if you hook one, you need you need some strength or they'll get away from you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And two X being most two X is in that 10 to 12 pound range. Yeah. 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 And I use fluorocarbon. It's supposed to be a little harder to see than nylon. But uh, uh, if you think about it, usually most carp flies, where carp are, it's not necessarily really clear water. Next thing is that you're fishing the fly in a, down near the bottom, so they really don't pay much attention to the leader because the leader's not above them. It's just basically near the bottom, too. Got it. Got it. Okay. So then working our way back on the gear, cause now I'm, I'm getting a little worked up here, Get, getting, uh, uh, working our way back to gear. So we'd probably use a long leader and a floating line. Is that accurate? Or would you get an intermediate or something? Down well, usually, again, remember what I said earlier, usually there, you catch them on the surface or, or two or three feet maximum down. Okay. And okay. if you have to go deeper than that, uh, if you'd wear, you know, uh, use a weighted fly, that'd probably get it down as deep as it is where the fish are practical. But I, I guarantee you that I haven't caught one tenth the carp uh, below four feet that I have above. Okay, so, so using a fishing line and trying to catch them in deeper water, uh, you uh, you got to be you got to be. Uh, uh, really hard head about it because you're going to make a lot of cats and never know you never know that you uh, even got a strike because they don't hit the fly like a small mouth and run with it they just suck it up spit it out you know that's it that's the strike got so it okay you got that on the end of a sinking tip line or sinking line down 10 feet deep and and you don't even know when it, where the where the carp is or what he took uh you uh, you're not going to have much success uh, it is basically like bone fishing, a sight fishing situation. You see the carp, you stalk it, you watch its reaction to the fly, and you set the hook whenever it takes the fly. Okay. You don't feel strike. And so is there a, and actually, let me, let me pause one second. I think your mic moved again there, Dave, like it yeah. did earlier. Okay. Is that better? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. So, so it's sight fishing enough. Do the, do carp, um, if I'm watching the carp take the fly, do you yeah. see like a, a gill flare or you just don't see the yeah. fly anymore? Yeah. yeah. You, you usually tip up on it, you know, uh, and you'll see them sometimes get a little bit excited, you know, a little bit of fin flutter and sometimes they'll rush it two or three inches to get to it, you know? So there is an indication that you're on your fly. Uh, but of course, if you're side fishing in relatively clear water, uh, you know where your fly is anyway. Yeah. And we normally don't use uh, such small flies that we can't see them. Uh, I, I would say that my average carp fly is a size eight or size six. Okay. And, and quite often I'll use them up to a size two. Got it. And most my of the carp. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. My favorite. 
supply for carp over the years well, there's actually two of them and near enough crawfish and about a size eight mm -hmm. and uh, my red fox squirrel nip at about that same size those two flies seem to be uh, about as good as anything for being able to get a carp on a fly I don't, I don't know if I told you this last episode, but uh, my very first smallmouth ever on the fly came on uh, Whitlock's Near Enough Crawfish. Good. Yeah. yeah. Well, good yeah. deal. That was, yeah. uh, uh, even, even though I tied it myself, so yeah. it was it was uh, probably a bastardized version of it. I, I put my heart and soul in it and well, it caught yeah. a fish. Well, so That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, so, fish and fish, that's the main thing. Oh, it's, I have a picture. I have a picture still. It was a... Uh, a relatively small uh, Neosho smallmouth on uh, Upper uh, Illinois, um, just barely hybridized. It had a few black spots on its belly. Its belly. It wasn't yeah. completely white, but yeah. Uh, uh, so that was that was exciting. So okay, so then yeah. I, I have to keep talking gear because I'm getting getting excited. So <laughs> probably a, a gear, Chris. I know. I'll, I'll shut up in a second, Dalton. But buckle uh, up, everyone. <laughs> but probably a seven or eight weight rod nine foot rod is most appropriate is that right or well you do something different it's up to you uh i don't think the carp are pretty clean fighters first of all uh they don't usually run under stuff they will run some distances but but uh i i like a six weight and maximum seven for most okay. of my carp fishing now when we were fishing a great deal up on lake michigan we were getting carp that averaged 18 pounds and we were getting them up, up to the mid 30s and if you get a, a carp that's in the mid 30s on a six weight, uh, uh, you got a problem, you know. So going up to a seven or eight weight gives you a little bit more leverage on a fish like that. But the, the main the main thing when you're fishing for those kind of fish on flats like that is to have a big reel with a lot of backing on it, because you can't stop them when they take off. You know they'll tear their head off before they stop. Just let them run, let them run, and then bring them back in uh as they as they slow down but they're usually while they run and cough it's because they're hooked but also they're running to deep water you know as soon as they feel that uh, hook they head back to, to home back to safety and so if that home is 50 60 or 80 yards away they're going to go there no matter what you think about them going there and that's the fun of it well that and that was my my very next you know just coming right up the right up the uh, the gear there is it would be the uh, the reel and assuming that a, a really good sealed drag, uh, doesn't maybe not sealed, but just smooth drag, at least real, uh, yeah, because yeah. they're going to run on you. Yeah. You don't, you don't need much drag on any fly fishing reel. Uh, I, I try to emphasize that to people because two things that, that you don't want, you don't want them tearing that small hook out, but also that, uh, that, Whenever they're really running hard, the fly line creates so much drag, particularly if they change directions or, or go on a curve. And so they can break off a lot of times if you've got too much drag on. And it's not because of the, the, the drag so heavy, it's just the fact that there's so much drag on the line plus the, the drag on the reel that causes the hook to tear out or the or leader to break. Got it. Got it. But, but a smooth, if, if you're going to have any kind of drag system on your reel, you definitely want one that has is as smooth as possible because any little oh jerky. yeah, they didn't overrun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I I tell most people that come to our fly fishing instruction reels that set the drag so it doesn't backlash. You know, overrun, and, and that's about a quarter to 
to a third of a pound and uh, and leave it there like that for most of your fishing. But once in a great while, if you encounter a really big fish and it's a long fight, uh, you can crank the drag up a little bit to help you beat that fish if it keeps running. But uh, for the most part, uh, you don't need that kind of drag for, for the kind of fishing that we do in freshwater. I'm so guilty of that. I I lost a big striper last week because of that exact reason. I, I a just, big what? A big a big striper on Texoma. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I I I did the same thing. It reminded me of a of a big trout actually that I missed um, in Missouri last fall, and it was the same thing where I was like, you know what? I need to take the pressure off of off of this reel or let my finger off the line. And as soon as I thought about it, yank snaps right off. So Dave, then, then the, the last little bit of carp that I have questions about, and then, and I promise gentlemen, I'll be quiet. Okay. The, uh, which I guess is really the very first thing you do is, is the approach and the stock. Yeah. Can, can you give us any hints on that, whether it be camouflage or watching the sun or staying out of the sun or what's, what's your method of, uh, of approaching and stalking a, a, a big carp? Well, uh, I, I, I'm taking for granted that you, you where you, where you have gone to, to fish carp, there are carp there. You see <laughs> sure. them, you know they're there. <laughs> well, you know, cause it's a sight game and yeah. if you mm -hmm. can't see them, you're not going to have any luck, guys. You know, I mean, I've already said you you got to be prepared for rejection, even if you're a really good carp fisherman. But uh, but once you see one, you got to understand this: that he can detect you better than you can him, and they can hear you, and they can see you, and they can smell you, and they can feel you better than you can them. Uh, they are amazingly equipped. For, for perception so you've got to be very very stealthy and that's not letting them hear you not letting them see you or not letting them feel you and so probably one of the best thing to do is stand still and let them come to you uh, when you do that you put yourself in a mild advantage over them and then the next thing is, next thing you've got to be a good caster uh, you can't you can't make a bunch of false casts or a bunch of, of miscast expect to keep carp. You've got to do that on one or two presentations or that carp's gonna go. I mean, and even guys, even if he doesn't go, you made a bad catch or two, he knows you're there and he's not gonna eat. Think about this, they're unforgiving about, about predators or something that can hurt them, they just don't, that, that foremost in their mind, because most of their life, they're prey for something else. And so it's just the same thing as if, if you went to sit down to eat and so suddenly somebody shot a gun through the window at, your, at the restaurant, would you remember to eat it? <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what carp do. The minute they feel or smell or hear you, they, they, they quit eating. So you, you're you're uh, you're just in the wrong place. You need to go someplace else because you're not going to force them to eat. I guarantee you. They, uh, a lot of times, if you spook them, they won't come back. 
you know, they're, they're not going to be back there feeding the next day. They're, they're, that's just wow. the way they, that's the way they take the game. So, so well, we're going to go out there and you guys, you guys get to where you can go out and catch carp consistently. You got your shit together. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, that's another thing I've not been accused of is having, having my shit together. So, uh, oh, I'm going to work on it. Well, you We're got some here. Maybe we help you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, Dave, let's switch gears a little bit. And, you know, you just in conversation there, you've mentioned a couple of dream destinations and I, I can't believe, or I can't begin to fathom all the beautiful destinations you and Emily have got to fish over the years. Um, when you guys would come back to Oklahoma, what yeah. what has the culture been like of fly fishing in Oklahoma over the years? Because we we were on the Illinois River two weeks ago, and people still look like us. We've got three heads with fly rods on the Upper Illinois River. So I'm curious, yeah. over the years, how has that perception changed in your eyes? Well, I I think I understood what you said. Uh, my move back to Oklahoma was a really good move for a number of reasons, but. One thing is that, gosh, guys, we're so blessed here with warm and cool water fly fishing. Uh, almost no pressure on it, and lots and lots and lots of it. And uh, that uh, if you can be happy with doing without regular trout fishing, uh, Oklahoma is a marvelous place to fly fish. Uh, the uh, the streams we have are quite good, as you know, and we have a an incredible reservoir system and a lot of ponds and lakes. So it's a great place to go, uh, you know, to catch fish almost year round because we don't have that horrible weather. You know, I just got back from Wisconsin and I was thinking, you know, in two months from now, they'll have ice here and mm -hmm. they'll have ice there until May, you know, and, and uh, we don't have to put up with that. No, no, sir. <laughs> no, so, sir. Dave, I got a, I got a question for you because it is coming up for me. And I know a lot of people, you know, there's no such thing as trout season for people, you know, uh, folks that are, that are really, uh, fortunate to live near some awesome trout waters. Uh, yeah. but it, for me, I, I associate trout fish with the fall winter and early spring months because around here we get a lot of stocked trout um and so i i, I you know I'm, I'm again relatively new to the sport and you know the the, the trend is you know so popular the you know the european style nymphing the tight line check yeah. nymphing yeah. but when i got into fly fishing the you know the allure of fly fishing is you know seeing that, you know, scenes from the movie, a river runs through it, you know, beautiful back casts and, and all the false yeah. casting and, and throwing a really delicate dry fly on, on the top of a river. But more and more, it seems like, you know, a lot of fishermen, particularly those that are new to the sport are intimidated by that. And uh, I, I feel like it's something that I'm seeing less and less. I'm really interested in dry fly fishing. And so I, I wanted to get your take on, on the appeal of dry fly fishing and, and why it's so important to continue to keep that as a part of our sport. Well, as far as dry fly fishing for trout, you're talking about. Yes. Okay. Well, first of all, we don't have much of an opportunity to dry fly fish in Oklahoma. Uh, you gotta go to minimum to Arkansas. 
mm-hmm. but better better yet go out west or up east because they have a lot more choices of water and a lot more hatches. Uh, the uh, one of the wonderful exceptions to what I just said is the white in the North Fork River since that new minimum flow has become an unbelievably uh, good uh, production for several good hatches. And uh, the uh, the caddis the hatch and the pale, the pale morning dun hatch, uh, it's, it's phenomenal. And then if you go if you go there in the wintertime, you can get, get some incredibly good dry fly midge fishing there. Otherwise, you have to pretty much take off and go out west and fish the hatches out there. But uh, but if you if you hang out and you want to dry fly fish, uh, I recommend you spend most of your time up on the White River through uh, through the summer months. And there also that I guess you 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 would also consider uh, terrestrial fishing, dry fly fishing, right? Sure. Yes. It's hopper time. And, yeah, and that's a that's a growing thing for in the Arkansas tailwaters. More and more people are using terrestrials, or what they call terrestrials, uh, Fat Alberts and and that, that sort of thing. Chernobyl ads. I still uh, uh, like to go up there and use a day's hopper. And I was talking to a guide the other day and about it because he kept saying the hopper season started, and I said, "Well, what do you use for?" Which hopper do you use? And if we don't use a hopper, we use a Fat Albert. And, so, <laughs> and I said, "Well, that's not hopper fishing. That's Fat Albert fishing." But, uh, but, but uh, I uh, uh, was fishing uh, with a guide with T.L. Lauderman four or five years ago before everybody got in onto the this uh, hopper or terrestrial fishing on the White River. And uh, by noon, we had almost fifty browns in the boat. And uh, and the guide that was with us was kind of in a state of shock. He said, "He said you used the day's hopper the whole time." And I said, "Well, you said we were going to go hopper fishing." And he said, "Yeah, but you know the the pink fat Albert was what I thought you were going to be using." So so your your guide, who obviously knows how to fish, uh, yeah. thought that Mister Dave Whitlock was going to use. Uh, uh, a foam terrestrial instead of the Dave's yeah, hopper. Well, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't know me, you know, I mean, okay, no, no problem at all, but, but, uh, but it was pleasantly surprised that the, that the fish would hit, you know, a Dave's hopper, but if they actually, uh, you know, have to think, have to think about it, the more you imitate the natural foods, probably the more and the bigger fish you're going to catch. Uh, sure. That's mm-hmm. always been my creed about it. Now you can get by, with showing something, showing fish something new for a while, uh, you, you, you a certain, but that wears out real fast because on a day-to-day basis, they got to feed on a shad or a crawfish or a midge or whatever, you know, they can't eat all this foam plastic and live very long. Mm-hmm. And so when you encounter carryover fish or wild fish, they're basically on a, on a diet of naturals. And I think for su- consistent success, the better you can tie and choose and fish naturals, especially on the surface, that way, the more success you're going to have. It's more fun, and it, to me, it, it, that's where fly fishing is. So uh, I, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a really old timer. I'll be 88 
in two months. But uh, I, 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 I remember the, uh, the, 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 the phrase match the hatch that Ernest Schubert uh, coined a number of years ago. It's so apropos if you're a dry fly fisherman. Uh, you, you, that the fun of it and the opportunity of it is being able to match a midge or match a hopper or match a pale morning dun. There's a satisfaction of that that uh, that uh, I, I just think is is our best asset in our sport. Well, and you and you said it a second ago. If they're uh, uh, you, you have a fish that's steadily eating on something that looks familiar to them and has proven to be food over yeah. and over again, that's, that's a confidence eat versus yeah. a, I'm going to try this eat because it looks yeah. different. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I have nothing, no problem with anybody that wants to, to fish the tractors or, or what have you. But to me, the love of our sport for me is, is being able to imitate natural foods and the, and the, the, the the treasure of that love is being able to tie your own flies and imitate those. You know, to me, those two things abs are an unbeatable combination of fishing satisfaction. I, uh, so, I, I tie a few, few patterns that, uh, are very natural looking. If I were matching the hatch of a bird that picked up a, uh, some sort of, uh, insect and chomped on it a few times and then accidentally dropped it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. sometimes it's a hot mess but i try yeah i think the only thing that i've got in my my fly box is uh, a white piece of string that i could say matches a grub worm hatch quote unquote yeah. uh, so when when you see people throwing what you know like what we call trash flies um and and catching kind of fish in numbers you know what what do you think of that you know compared to you know that I see so many of these beautiful flies that are like truly works of art. Um, yeah. It, it seems like it's just a different feeling, right? Well, a lot, a lot of people naturally kind of want to put elbows and assholes on flies in order to, uh, to make them look more realistic. And, uh, and to me, those are fly sculptures. They're not, if you have to get into that kind of time to imitate the appendages and of, of a, of an insect or a mineral or something, uh, the technique of doing that causes that fly to be less lifelike in texture and movement and, uh, and, and what have you. And so you begin to lose uh, the, the quality of, of the fly if it, gets, if it gets, you know, too stiff, shall we say, or too, too exact. And so I've always uh, compromised by using flies that are what I call suggestive. When, whenever you look at it, you see trout food, you see color and shape and something the trout would eat because it looks like something that lives in a stream or might fall into a stream. So I was going to, I was going to ask you, Dave, of the four things that come to mind, uh, if, if you would under normal circumstances, how would you rate them? And so the four things being, uh, shape or silhouette size, color, color. and action which uh what, what how would you rate the importance of those four well for trout uh shape and shape and size probably are the two most important things uh color is the third and then uh, how, how well you fish it would be the fourth but all those are important keys 
because in order to get a fish like a trout to accept those, those have to be uh, kind of the, the properties that uh, that a fly, a good fly has. Okay, Dave. So you're telling me the trout aren't counting the wire wraps on my copper jum before they eat it? <laughs> no, no, repeat that again. What? Say so you're telling me that the trout's not counting my wire wraps on my copper johns before he eats it. I don't use them. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. I think I'm just impressed that we actually had a full segment where we get to talk, get Chris talking about trout fishing. Oh, I was no, yes. I was talking about smallmouth, but uh, I was letting you guys think it was about <laughs> okay. trout. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, Dave, what do you prefer, bass or, or trout? Repeat that, please, Doug. What, what do you What do you prefer to chase, uh, uh, trout or uh, or bass? Well, my favorite fish to catch on a fly rod on pretty much a day to day basis is smallmouth bass. I just like their character. I like where I catch them. I like the way their looks, and they suit my personality. I guess the next fish I prefer to catch is a brown trout. Uh, they uh, uh, they also give me that same general uh, feeling I'm catching wild fish that that got some brains and that uh, can fight hard and 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 you utilize the environment and what have you in a way that uh, that get, makes me feel that capturing them, you know, is I've done something with my skill. That, that 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 makes so much sense. Chris and I, uh, um, Chris and I have talked about Chris Dalton and I have all talked about this in the raft about, you know, like fishing for for smallmouth and and I've always been and, and again I don't know what I'm talking about ever, but I have always felt like there's a lot of similarities between trying to chase brown trout, yeah. and in chasing smallmouth bass i feel like their 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 tendencies the way they feed how aggressive they both are um yeah. even their fight they feel like very similar fish yeah yeah well i think a smallmouth good smallmouth fishman would do very well on brown trout or vice versa you know uh, you you've, you've got the, the, the general principles of the understanding the aggressiveness of the fish and uh, the brown, brown trout, though, the only thing that, uh, that they they make themselves unavailable too much of the day. Uh, well, smallmouth bass seem to pretty much play the game all day, but a brown trout, you know, they uh, they love night fish, night feed, and unless there's an abundance of food in the daytime and a very small amount of fishing pressure, in other words, boats. All that sort of thing. Uh, you're not going to interest a brown. He's just going to go hide somewhere. But but a smallmouth will stay pretty active all day long, and uh, I don't think they get nearly as upset with human traffic as brown trout do. Yeah, I just uh, I just booked my my trip for the end of next month uh, at at Whitehall. We always stay at Whitehall Resort there uh, near Flippin and. Uh, uh, hoping we take my buddy's boat up there uh and last last time we went we got uh extreme overcast rained on the entire time and yeah. the, the streamer fishing was amazing yeah yeah, uh, yeah yeah and so my guess is we'll have bright sunny skies and low water and i'll be 
bobber fishing for stalker rainbows, <laughs> but yeah. but I, I can hope that it's that it's light conditions. We'll see. I just uh, finished my regular uh, feature in Trout Magazine. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the feature series that I'm doing in Trout Magazine now is called Experiences. And it's about different experiences I've had in, in my life fishing, uh, basically for cold water fish because it's Trout Magazine. But uh, uh, experiences that, that I have had that, that are very memorable, but also that I've learned something about. And uh, <clears throat> the one I just finished, uh, the, the title of it is Night Prey. And it's a story about how I developed uh, my night fishing ability on the White River for big brown trout. And uh, boy, I'll tell you something right now. You wade out into a river like that at night, and it's a uh, uh, you've got a fish that is so Jekyll and Hyde, it's unbelievable. Those big old brown lay around all day and almost want to eat nothing but live food, you know, bait, bait food. But at night they are they are so predacious and so aggressive, it's unbelievable. You know, it's a, they uh, they they have they have such a Jekyll and Hyde character change. It's unbelievable, and wow. it's because they can see so at night and say they most of their feeding is done at night, especially when they get bigger. You know, when they get bigger, they're no longer worried about something eating them. And so the, 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 and the night basically is theirs from that point on. And so they get out and prowl and, and they can see as good or better than any other fish at night. And so uh, uh, chasing a minnow down or, or a crawfish or whatever is easy for them at night. So, so I was going to ask you there. 99% of, the, of the people that chase them are at home to sleep. <laughs> I see so, so many people throw and I, I tried this earlier this year and I didn't get a bite but I also didn't know where I was throwing never I'd never been on that river before uh, yeah, like yeah. the mouse flies the mouse patterns uh, across yeah. the top of the water so let yeah, me ask you yeah. this but and, and then Chris I know you've got uh, you've got some cool stuff that you want to ask but real quick um, just because that's one of my goals this fall and this winter is to is to catch a brown at night um yeah when you get out and wade into that water what is it you know what are some tips and tricks i know people talk about you know you know keep your headlamp off um yeah. you know what what spooks them away but i i also don't want to fall and drown in a river so uh yeah, yeah. you know what what are what's something that can be done to do that well first of all you need to pick a stretch of river that it's safe for you to, uh, you know, to access at night uh, because most generally most night fishing is done waiting, and mm -hmm. so you can make damn sure that the water's not going to come up on you, or you're not going to fall off in some kind of a deep hole or something while you're fishing. So make sure that you are fishing an area. But but uh, browns like night water just like they would in the daytime to find food. In other words, the if there's food there in the daytime, it'll be there at night. And that's usually the lower part of a ripple, all of the run and, and the edges of the deep holes uh, and sometimes the tail outs, but, that, but they get out and cruise long distances at night and, uh, and forage. And the, again, they're not feeding necessarily on insects. They're looking for crawfish or, or whatever. I found that, that uh, 
the best way to attract a brown at night is with a surface fly. Get uh, the and not not necessarily like a dry fly, but a fly that wakes underneath the surface, but 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 puts on a very visible wake and also a lot of uh, low frequency sound waves. You know, like a big ear headed fly, and that seems to, to attract browns better than uh, than any underwater fly I've ever used. So that's uh, why those it, big uh, those big mouse patterns are very popular. Well, a mouse pattern is okay, but I prefer something. It stays pretty much completely on the water. Okay. Wakes on the surface. In other words, because that that gives them a little bit more of an opportunity to locate it and to uh, and feel good about hitting it. But uh, so I use uh, about an eight, seven or eight inch long sculpted shaped fly that's not weighted. But uh, so when I cast it out, it it, it will sink. But with a, as I strip it or, or swing it across, it it actually makes a very visible wake, it, and that seems to be what they like better than anything. So something that just gets kind Plus, of just under the surface, you know, three yeah, or four inches. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went through the mouse thing and the and uh, the, the surface stuff, and and while it you get some nice strikes that way. It's still not the best way to get a really big brown consistently. Uh, the, the, and the, if you go into water at night, you always have a problem hanging up. And I don't like to hang up at night. You know that that it, 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 it's like when you're bass fishing and you're afraid to catch with a bass arm because you don't want to hang up. Uh, <laughs> if you uh, if you're worried about fishing a fly because you don't want to hang up or lose it, you're not going to fish it right. Mm -hmm. And so the big waker fly with a weed guard on it uh, is my choice for night fishing. And, and mostly all black or all black. And so since they can see so well at night. And you know, the, go ahead. I'm the guys sorry. That, the guys that really uh, do a lot of night fishing, it's, is a bunch of guys up at the Tanacomo. And yes. uh, they just swear all black lie is the only color to use, you know, for, for night fishing. And I, I, don't argue, I don't argue that point at all. Uh, for some reason, the black gives them a better better silhouette to find than, than a colored fly. Does a uh, moonlight uh, affect everything? Uh, yes, yes, good question. So what are you it looking does. for? What kind of moonlight are you, are you, is uh, preferable? Most of the time, I like a little bit of light. You know, okay. I don't like darker the moon. But the, the guys up there that, that, that night fish so much, pretty much insist on the darker the moon. But I don't like to be out when it's that dark. I don't, okay. I don't enjoy night fishing, period. Anyway, but uh, when I can't see, I just, I just don't, I don't enjoy it. So sure. uh, partly moonlight night. Uh, overcast, maybe. Pardon? Overcast, cloudy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, overcast or bad weather uh, also greatly improves night fishing. It makes it more miserable for you. But uh, for some reason, the, the fish, uh, I don't know whether the, that makes the light even lower 
or what, but uh, but for some reason, the Browns like really bad weathery nights too. Okay. That's well, it's, awesome. it's got, I mean, one of y'all, one of y'all mentioned a minute ago that you had, uh, had been fishing uh, in really bad weather and had really good luck with the Browns on screamers. Mm -hmm. That's because the light level dropped, you know, yeah. and they, and they feel much more confident, uh, in going out. I don't know whether it's a fear factor or a fact that they, uh, that, uh, the other food forms are easier to find whenever the light level is lower. I, I'm not there. Or they're harder to see, but there's something something going on there though about that about weather. Bad weather always makes brown fishing better. That's well, awesome. Da well, Dave, I want to switch gears uh, for just a second here, and uh, and then of course uh, try to be mindful of your time and not not make this a four hour recording unless unless you'll let us. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we didn't get to talk last time about your art, and. Yeah. Uh, and that seems like, um, you know, you can be a, a seven-time Hall of Fame inductee fly fisher, but you're also an extremely well-known uh, artist. And yeah. so, so yeah. how how did that come about? What what was that, or did they just happen at the same time? Well, you know, I I guess I'm blessed with some interest in in, in art or or art reproducing what I see in nature. And I'm a self-taught artist, but I enjoy more actually painting a brown trout than I do catching them. Uh, the okay. reason is that you create a, you create a, a much more lasting memory when you, when you, uh, when, when I deal with art versus just going out and catching a fish. And uh, I, I just get such a, a kick out of it. I get, a lot of questions on on what's your what's your favorite way to fish or what's your favorite this that and the other and i and i just kind of surprise people i guess in telling them my favorite thing to do is to sit out in my studio and create a nice piece of art for somebody or myself uh, i get more kick out of that than actually do being on the water that uh, that is not the answer i expected to hear that's uh, that's yeah, very know, interesting that, that's it though that's well, awesome. You know, I, I obviously, uh, I say, obviously you, you don't know me to know this, but, uh, I obviously I'm, I'm super excited to, to have spent any time with you and to meet you in person and, uh, all in short interactions. Uh, and, you know, I will treasure these conversations and our, and our, even just yeah. the handshakes, but, um, but I've wanted to, uh, I've been kind of enamored by your artwork and I haven't, uh, purchased any or, or asked about having something commissioned. Uh, I did, um, I tried to purchase one of your, your vice bases with the small yeah, mouth yeah. on there. Yeah, and yeah. Unfortunately, the, the, the people making those aren't, aren't, uh, doing a great, uh, or having a hard time with something right now. So hopefully they come back in eventually yeah. and I'll, I'll buy one. But, uh, um, I just feel like, I feel like there's this, this, how I'm not, I'm not using my words correctly here. Um, uh, but I feel like I need this, this part of Dave in, in my life and something to hang on to. And, uh, well, uh we have, we have a lot of wonderful prints that are very reasonable and I always personalize those prints, but my favorite thing to do for someone is 
is to actually do them an original uh, of what they want to have done. In other words, what picture would you want? Would it be a fishing experience or a, a certain catch, a certain uh, time or time or place? But to create that, recreate that 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 scene uh, mm. with with my ability to please you. In other words, because if, if you want to buy a, a painting, you're going to you know you, you you pull it up on a website or go into a gallery, but you're always looking for something that's not you. In other yeah. words, you're looking for something that uh, you're looking for something you want, but it, but all that art's not you it's there. It's hard to find something that really pleases you. And so I always uh, encourage people that they want some real Whitlock art, it's just to commission it. And it, you know, it's not it's not overpriced. You can most people can afford it if they uh, if they don't need too big a painting. But uh, I can create a piece of art for you that just for you. And I do that all the time. And boy, that is so rewarding to see somebody's face and see that all of a sudden they have a painting that's just for them. It's what well, they want and and uh, and it's uh, it's my it's my uh, uh, creation for them. Well, my uh, to to put you on the spot here, uh, my my perfect world, like the yeah. the Chris the Christmas present that I didn't know I was asking for type of deal, and and this doesn't have to be anytime soon. I've got you very much on the spot. Um, we still want to. I still want to take you fishing. I want to okay. take you, take you on the, on the river. Uh, I'll row you in the raft. We'll stop and fish a little bit. I'll fish if we stop on a gravel bar or something. But, uh, what I would like to do is, is take you fishing one day, row you around. And quite frankly, whatever is most memorable to Dave on that yeah. trip, I'd like yeah. to commission a piece of art for that. And I don't even need to know what it is. Well, what we could sure do that. I, that would just be so special. That See what 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 uh, you don't know, Chris, is we're gonna bribe Dave uh, to make sure that that painting is one of Dalton's breakfast burritos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dave Dal Dalton is is uh, he is the our chef and uh, yeah, absolute yeah. culinary genius for Riverside cuisine. As long oh, as it's wow. wrapped in yeah. a burrito, yeah. <laughs> I would love a, a Whitlock original a burrito. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, Dave, uh, after seeing your signature at, at the Smallmouth Rendezvous, Rendezvous you yeah. signed Mr. Ryan Walker's raft. And after yeah. seeing just how beautiful your signature was, I was about to offer you my forehead for a signature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, guys, uh, just, I'll just be very personal for a second. Uh, when I was born, I had a big problem being birthed. And then I had uh, rheumatic fever, which is a terrible heart disease. And then I had polio. And so I was basically an invert until I was about to puberty age. And even then I couldn't play any kind of sports or do anything that other guys could do. And I gradually overcame that by discovering fly fishing and living a, a healthier life than, uh, than most people do. And but the, the end product is I'm 88 and I can still paint and I still have 20-20 vision and I can still go fly fishing. And I'm so blessed because 
no doctor at that time ever said I'd ever said that I'd live to be even 20, much less 30. And, uh, but uh, it's, it, it's worked out that I've been able to develop a career, a basically stress-free career. And it's really, it's really uh, made great dividends and a wonderful lifestyle. And I, I don't think I'd trade anybody uh, their life experiences for mine. That's, that's, in, that's incredible, man. Um, and, and like you, I just love hearing your experiences and, uh, you know, everything that you get to do. Um, you know, one thing, uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't ask, how's, how's Emily doing? How's Miss Emily? She's great. She's the best wife in the world. Boy, she, you ought to, you ought to get her to show you the small mouth bass she caught last week on the Monomany River. I mean, uh, uh, it looked more like a big grouper than it did a smallmouth bass. Oh my oh, god! Uh, she's doing great. She's a wonderful wife, you know. So she's she and and just to be able to put up with me for thirty two years is is pretty remarkable. I tell you. So so you have a stress free life and career, um, and she helps you do that. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Well, so so listeners, I'll tell you, um, we are. Uh, you should be listening to this episode. Uh, towards the end of August or beginning of September. Uh, but for those of you that are in Oklahoma, I don't even want to say in the northeast part of Oklahoma, but in Oklahoma or northwest Arkansas or southwest Missouri, take a small drive on November 10th. Um, November 10th, we will be having uh, our Trout Unlimited uh, 420 chapter, uh, the Oklahoma chapter. Uh, general meeting for November, and Mr. Dave Whitlock is our guest speaker uh, for that meeting. It's a Thursday evening. The meeting starts at six o'clock. We'll do a few minutes of uh, uh, housekeeping announcements, and then by six fifteen, I think we'll be quiet and um, and have a, a great evening with Dave and I and I'm sure Emily and yeah, uh, she'll be there. Yeah. Okay, Dave. Dave He's a lot Emily. prettier than I am. Emily's a lot prettier than I am. <laughs> she she is. I'm I I'm, I won't argue with yeah. she is. Uh, and I think we're going to the the venue is not decided, but uh, I think we're going to to try to do that one at Heirloom Rustic Ales, which is Jake yeah. Miller's place. Um, he'll have food trucks and vendors there, and it's going to be a a closed event specifically for Trout Unlimited, uh, and and such a special. Um, special guest that evening so that's november 10th and uh, you'll see some more announcements uh between now and then but uh dalton trevor i as always have talked way too much do we have do you have any other questions or or thoughts for mr whitlock i i'm only a million but unfortunately <laughs> i don't think that that would be I kind would, we could do it some other time i'm telling uh, all the yeah, absolutely. No, uh, Dave, this is, it, it truly is just a, an incredible experience uh, for you to share your time with us and, and tell some stories. This is something that I'll, I'll certainly treasure. Um, so I, I appreciate it, man. It, it means a ton to us. Well, I appreciate you guys. It's fun to talk to. Absolutely. Yeah, Dave, when they're, when they inevitably be inevitably build the Mount Rushmore of live fishing, <laughs> sir, you are on it. So <laughs> We are so appreciative of your time um, to share our stories well, you know, and us. You've got to think about it. Somebody 88 years old and have uh, three handsome 
or four handsome men want to hear what you got to say that are about a third your age, uh, that you're pretty feel, feel pretty fortunate. That, oh man! Well, so, you know, these uh, on these Zoom calls, we've got four screens, so you you fit perfectly. We should just yeah. maybe make a permanent spot for Mr. Dave okay. Whitlock on the Creek right. Adventures podcast. I'm not because I don't have anything else today. I because... uh, no. <laughs> well, Dave, oh, it gosh. has been a, a pleasure, man. Um, we'll definitely have you back again. Please uh, give Emily our love, uh, okay. and uh, we can't uh, we can't wait to catch up with you again. Okay, I look forward to seeing you in November, guys. All right, thanks, Dave. Thanks, Good Dave. See you, Dave. Bye. That was neat. That was neat. Um, and I mean, uh, truly, it, 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 again, goosebumps talking to a guy like that. Um, he's, such, he's such a good dude. And you learn so much in such little time. Uh, it's almost like he's been doing this for, for a minute or something. Well, you learn, he might you learn know what a he's lot. Talking about. You know, you learn a lot. But I mean, frankly, just the experience of, of visiting with and being with with Dave and, and, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I'm actually okay with that was neat being the right, right one for that episode. No, as, that as was as much neat. as I it's love a, that. It's a, it's a doesn't disservice. No, exactly. It doesn't do it. That was, that was really cool. Um, yeah. you know, that's, it's, that's again, I can't wait to tell my, you know, tell my kids, I can't wait to tell my daughter, um, you know, when she gets into fly fishing, you know, about Dave Whitlock. Yeah. <laughs> and and spending time with with dave whitlock um legitimate fly fishing royalty i yeah. mean this is awesome yeah. so what else has been going on guys um we haven't talked in a couple weeks and uh that felt like a really rough segue from 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 dave but uh <laughs> i gotta i gotta peel you off of, of we've uh, moved on yeah uh no <laughs> I, it's hard to move on but uh uh, and I'm so jealous of, of Ryan Walker's, uh, raft frame there, that, that back a little bit. Uh, he was just a little bit quicker with a Sharpie, uh, than, than I was, which means I didn't think about it at all. And he did. <laughs> uh, that's <laughs> and, awesome. And then it was just pure jealousy, but, uh, so, so it's been kind of striper season, um, since, since we've talked last, uh, you got it out has. on some on, on Texoma and, um, I don't think I talked about last time, uh, the one that got away. So, so I'll get into that in a second, but, uh, but how, how was Texoma fishing for you, man? It, it's, it's called the striper capital of the world for a reason. And, uh, I, I get it. So, you know, driving down in, in Southern Oklahoma, driving down to Durant, you know, a few, a few days a week. I, I see all the guides out, see all the boats, you know, moving up and down on the lake, you know, see like the boiling uh, shad come up and the stripers just munching on them. Uh, it gets your blood pumping for sure. Uh, so I had the chance to get out, uh, fished a little bit of the lake, but um, you know, for fly fishermen right below the dam, Denison dam, um, you know, the tailwater there, there's a lot of great fish and, uh, I've had, you know, plenty of friends, you know, good buddy, Adam Chastain's been tearing them up down there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he, uh, you know, he put me on some fish and unfortunately, you know, I, I think it, we had a, we had a front come through, 
um, pressure changed and uh, the bite was really, really off comparatively. And also I think I, you know, they're holding a little deeper. I really got to get some sinking line. Um, so Chris, I'll be hitting you up about that probably in the next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I need to get some sinking line to get down there a little deeper. I only hooked into one and uh, regrettably it was a massive fish. That's what I was talking about with Dave about my drag and just knowing, you know, it's just a stupid mistake of knowing I need to let this fish run a little bit. Um, and I got too antsy, too jealous. And I, and I broke him off as I was trying to get him into the net, but guys, if, if you're interested in, you want to catch that, you know, that big fish experience, you know, that quote unquote saltwater experience a little bit, um, Oklahoma is truly a special place in terms of, you know, striper, um, and, and being able to get that. And, uh, I'm excited to fish, uh, Texoma a little more. I did catch the drum, the biggest drum I've ever caught in my life. Uh, the thing was a friggin' football. Uh, so that was fun. Um, I, I don't usually get excited about drum, but, uh, mm. it was, it was fun nonetheless. Uh, so it was cool. Um, and, and, you know, speaking of like Texoma and speaking of striper season, uh, our good buddy, Nick Banks, just posted his video kayaking out on Texoma and man, his videos are just getting better and better. I'm so happy for him. I'm so happy he's still doing it. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to bring him up because uh, his, a couple portions of that video were exactly what you're talking about. Right. Uh, right below the dam. Yeah. Uh, where he had a kayak out uh, under, under what lo- looks like little to no generation. Uh, but he had the kayak out and you can see in one of them that he's hooked up and he's, he's spinning that, uh, that, uh, extra line into his reel as fast as he can trying to uh trying to get him on the reel before he loses them um, yep. and, yeah uh, yeah they're so they are good they're good and 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 here's the thing it was so interesting to me to watch that not to criticize nick because he definitely caught more fish than i did uh you know the time that he was out there with the no generation that's it's it's an extremely weightable and you can get out into those deep holes um, I almost feel like uh, I would like to take a kayak while they're generating because um, the, 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 the water is not it's not too choppy. It's um, I wouldn't feel uncomfortable, um, you know, getting out there, dropping anchor and, and getting into some of those spots. Um, of course, like, you know, if it was, you know, if it was a raging river, sure. Um, you know, so we got out there in the evening when they were generating and, you know, as they start to shut it off towards six, seven o'clock seems like a great place to be. Um, uh, but yeah, he, I mean, there's, there's a ton of deep little holes, man, that you can get in and, and, uh, and they're just there. I, you know, I was kind of blown away. We were nailing some casts. There's a little drop off that was probably seven, eight feet in front of us. And they just, they were just kind of holding on that ledge and I just couldn't get down deep enough. And, uh, Adam was just hitting them literally right. Almost like right at the end of his rod. He, you know, he'd strip in and it seems like, you know, right before you make your back cast, bam, another one would hit, you know, good, good size, you know, 15, 16 inch fish, um, just kind of hanging on that ledge. So, uh, it's, it's a fishy place, man. I don't want to, I don't want to give up too many secrets, uh, and spot burn anybody, but, uh, uh, I'm excited to, to continue to hit it. That's for damn sure. Well, you're, tra- you're traveling down there enough, um, with work here lately that uh, just remind me when i when i ever get to see you again uh just to send you down with a with a spool uh, or with a reel spooled up with the eight weight sinking line i think i've got a couple that are um 
uh, not monic, but they're they're the scientific angler, you know, call it five inch a second. Uh, that'll get you down there real quick. Well, so. we'll definitely, you know, as the, as these summer months uh, continue, and, and I'm curious to see how it is in the fall and, and in the winter. Um, but as, as the, the temps are starting to climb a little bit, but as it's still hot, um, I got to make a, I need to make my work week stretch a little differently where I could get down there closer to a weekend. And so you guys could come meet me and we could go fish it for a couple of days. That, that definitely needs to happen. I dig, I dig that. I dig that. So, so our, our Northeast Oklahoma, uh, striper fishing adventure, um, I got out with Aaron here. Um, this is my, the one that got away story. Uh, got out with Aaron a few weeks ago. And uh, there are on the Arkansas um, where we, where we put in there, there are, which is, it's not a super secret, but you know, I'm going to, going to refrain from giving you the, the GPS coordinates, but there are some um, pretty swift moving water uh sections and that plunge into uh some short deep pools um that that are popular to fish and uh you know talking to uh james and a few people uh that, that we've met out there kind of coaching me how to get down in there but i tell you i this last time we went the water was a little higher than normal i think we we walked out into the river and it was maybe still around 2,500 CFS. It was falling out, but but around 2,500 CFS. Uh, so you definitely needed to have your your cleats on or your studs on your boots to not slide down the river. But um, I got into that section and I had tied a, a very heavy dumbbell clouser trying to get down deep, mm-hmm. and uh, put a, a I think I had a maybe a 10 foot leader on this. So this is a kind of a, a different thought process set up here, but, um, a 10 foot leader, 10 or 11 foot leader, um, floating fly line, an extremely heavy dumbbell eye clouser, uh, white and chartreuse. And then I had a bullet weight. So if you think of like a Texas yeah. rig, bass rig, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what you're talking about. A little black bullet weight, uh, 116th ounce, um, that I put onto the, the leader and it casted beautifully, by the way. Uh, it did not, it was, uh, like casting, a um, you know, rock, your chihuahua on the end of your eight way. It, <laughs> it was ridiculous, but, uh, um, I did not snag myself and there was a little bit of a breeze. So I'm, I felt pretty fancy, but you had to cast this thing just almost directly upstream of you yourself so you're standing right up near the hole casting just upstream and where the where i'd i fished this uh, previously with five inch and seven inch per per second sink tips um you almost end up that that kept me from mending well and so i had to cast up upstream put a big old gnarly mend on this floating fly line and then almost just high stick it to mm-hmm. keep as much line off the water as I could to allow this mm-hmm. thing to, to get to the bottom. Yeah. And it worked really well. Sure. Um, and I hooked into what without a doubt is the biggest fish I have had on the end of 
any fishing equipment I've ever I've, I've owned in my life, uh, much less a fly rod. And this thing just absolutely, I'm surprised my eight weight didn't blow up. And for those of you that know what blowing up a rod is, if you are fishing and a section of your rod breaks, that's a warranty repair. At some point in life, you have hit that on a rock or your flies come back and hit it and it's now weaker. You've broken it one section. When you blow up a rod, two or three of your sections explode at the same time. And you're probably not going to get that warranty repaired. Although if it's a Maxon rod, let me know because I might talk them into just buying you a new one just because you had such a cool fish story. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but I thought, I thought my rod, this eight way was going to blow up um, little bitty short runs, um, but just heavy and the most powerful head shakes I've ever, ever experienced. And I, I didn't get them on the reel. I was somehow in hindsight, this is all hindsight, 2020 couch quarterback type of thing. But in, I, I, didn't want to let go of the line. I should have slowly, let, you know, try to reel some slack in, slowly let some some line out one one way or the other to to try and get this guy onto a drag system and tear him up or you know tire him out. But I absolutely, I think I was scared that if I let go of that line, one is going to burn my finger in half, and or two, just like I was just I was immobilized. It was that big of a, mo a moment for me and it's still dark by this point i mean it's it's, it's before 6 a.m at this point um and i tell you what he just head shake head shake rod's gonna blow up i finally say you know what i need to get him on the reel i start with my left hand to bring that line in and one last set of head shakes actually rips the line out of my out of my finger and um and then breaks off 25 pound test. My, my tippet was 25 pound test on this and it broke it, ripped the line out of my hand. The rod didn't break. Um, but that is my one that got away story in hindsight, because of the running, it was probably a, a big catfish. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I'll, I'll never know. I want to know. I want to go back, but they're hardly, putting, <laughs> they're hardly putting any water down that river. So, uh, there's, there's my fish story. Well, you got a, a good, I mean, good on the rod, man. It did its job. My guess, my guess was it was a rock. Dude, that was a head shaking daggone rock. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that, that was my story, gentlemen. Um, what else are we going to do tonight? I think we probably need to wrap this thing up so we don't take away from uh, uh, the greatness of Dave, right? Absolutely. All right, Trevor, take us home. We'll be recording again here in a couple of weeks. Um, um, oh, sorry. Last last thing before you do that, you mentioned at the in the intro about um, the prototype that uh, Chris at Lone Bison is working on, and I have a date with him Thursday. Um, we've made I. We got together. I tried out this product, recommended a couple changes, um, but uh, he's he's tweaked it a little bit. And I'm going to meet up with him Thursday and really put the screws to it a little bit and um, and see what those changes did. And I got to tell you, 
this is pretty exciting um uh, game changer type uh type product he's putting together so that's that's uh more to come on that so that All is right, ta- awesome take us home man Thanks, guys, for listening to the Maxon Inflatable Boats Creek Adventures podcast presented by Lone Bison Fly Tables. LoneBisonFlyTables.com, premium quality functional art. Make sure to go ahead and give them a follow and be on the lookout for uh, Chris's new product. Um, guys, this podcast uh, has been an awesome experience. We'll be back here in a couple of weeks. As always, for Chris Queen and Dalton Wortham, I'm Trevor Rogers. We'll see you guys soon. All right. See you, man. See you.